This is Tommy's Outdoors 102. There is a, a lot of misunderstanding at times about what is animal welfare and what is humane animal treatment. And especially since uh, the, the, the substantial portion of the listeners to this podcast are hunters and anglers, and I'm a hunter and angler myself, um, it's often we tends to throw around like, oh, you know, the best, the most important thing is to humanely kill an animal or we need to treat animals humanely or animal welfare or fish welfare when we're practicing catch and release. Fish welfare is the most important thing. But do we really understand what animal welfare is, what humane treatment is? And I really, I think there's a lot of confusion around this subject. And I want to record an episode of the podcast where we deal with this for quite a long time. Um, And um, today is a day. Uh, Our guest is Alec Simmons. Uh, Alec is a veterinarian, naturalist, photographer, and he's also a chair of the University's Federation for Animal Welfare, the International Animal Welfare Science Society. He's also chair for the Humane Slaughter Association, as well as trustee for Dorset Wildlife Trust. So uh, it doesn't get any better than this. Um, I had a great time uh, talking with Alec, and I hope that in this podcast, we, or or Alec actually, um, clarify a little what humane treatment is, what animal welfare is, and if... uh, after listening to this episode, you're still confused. You're still not fully sure. I hope that this episode at least gives you give you some food for thought and some ideas and maybe uh, an energy to dig a little bit deeper and find out more for yourself. So I think it's an important episode of the podcast, especially for those of you who deal with, uh, who interact with wild animals. And while we're interacting with those wild animals, Sometimes it's not that pleasant for those animals, but even if you're just a photographer, um, then these these concerns also come to play. So um, that's an introduction for today. And as usual, before I let you enjoy this episode of the podcast, you know what to do. If you like the podcast, if you like the if you like what I do, and you'll want to support me and the podcast, share that podcast with your friends and with all your buddies who think might be interested in the podcast or on the subjects that we talk about. And also, if you want to go an extra mile, leave the rating, leave the review, leave, leave the comment, write a comment, leave the five-star rating. I'll just give the good old thumbs up if you're watching this on YouTube. So, uh, yes, folks, that's uh, all for this introduction. And now, without any further ado, Alex Simmons, and we're going to talk about animal welfare and humane animal treatment. Alec, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. That's all right. You're welcome. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a, it's an opportunity to to talk, and uh, uh, you know I like to talk. Yes. Um, listen. So before before we go into uh, more detailed and and uh, complicated discussion, what what made you 
to dedicate such a huge portion of your career to animal welfare and humane treatment of the animals. Obviously, uh, people who heard the, my introduction at the top of the show know about all the positions that you held. So obviously, this is very important for you. How, so how did this start? Why? Um, well, I, 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 I'm clearly, since I left public service, which is about five years ago, I have done quite a bit more on animal welfare. But my career was based an awful lot on disease control and public health. So uh, I spent a long time working on things like bovine TB and BSE, even influenza, brucellosis, all sorts of diseases. I also spent quite a long time working on um, slaughterhouse and uh, food hygiene. Uh, so uh, those two things probably took up about three quarters of my career. The other quarter, I suppose, was animal welfare. Um, and I did a lot of that. I, I managed to, well, I got the government to pay me to go to university in, in Edinburgh to do a degree in applied animal behavior in 1991. So when they offered that to me and said, you can have your expenses paid and your salary paid for a year, you don't say no. So I went off and did that for a year. And that was, that was really good. And that stimulated my interest. But I think all veterinarians take an interest in animal welfare, some probably more than others, but my job involves quite a bit of work on animal welfare, and I, I've always had an interest in it. It's just one of these things that I've, I've, I've taken a keen interest in just because I feel that there's a responsibility that we have towards animals, which... Uh, um, as a veterinarian, you have a privilege in, in trying to promote hmm. responsibility, I believe, as well. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so let's jump right into deep end and start yeah. with like, what, what is humane treatment? What does it mean, humane treatment, that we should treat animals humanely? Because I feel like this is a term that is, you know, throw around a little bit casually. Yeah. And, and, and people don't really fully understand what that is. No, not that I pretend that I understand, but this well, is on the I, show. I, I think it's changed a lot over time, Tommy. Um, humane treatment of animals, perhaps in the middle of the 19th century, was not beating it with a stick uh, and uh, not overworking them, not overriding them. And uh, uh, over time, what's happened is, is that we've understood the physiology the behavior and the uh, needs of animals more. Uh, we've come to consider that humane treatment of animals is more than just not beating them. It's ensuring that uh, the animal is physical needs are met. Uh, so therefore it's comfortable if it's kept in captivity. Uh, it's properly fed and watered. Um, the environment is right, and that uh, it's free as far as practical of, from disease. And um, in addition to that, if possible, and increasingly I think it is, uh, that the environment actually meets the animal's behavioral needs. Now, that's quite an interesting concept, because what's a behavioral need? Um, and many people would say, a behavioural need of an animal is simply to be able to eat, lie down comfortably, 
and breed. Um, but thinking has developed a lot over the last 50 years and the behavioral needs of animals go beyond those simple things. And many animals, particularly uh, carnivorous animals, they have a need to, to hunt. They have a need to, to forage. And you could argue that pigs in particular uh, being uh, animals that root and forage for food and spend a lot of time looking the needs of them uh, if they don't have an opportunity to forage it spills over into distress which is one of the reasons why things like uh, the crates in which sows used to be kept these crates big long ones that would stop them from uh, uh, moving round, but stop them from fighting each other uh, they also stop them from foraging and that meant that these animals would be distressed and you'd start to see the type of uh, behaviour you might see with a lion in a, in, a, in a zoo which would pace round and round. With a pig it would be manifest by its swaying from side to side in the crate or chewing the bars and it was a really a coping mechanism to cope with the very barren environment the unstimulating environment when animals like pigs lions cats dogs they've evolved to have a, a sort of repertoire of behavior which if it's not doesn't have an opportunity to express the animal can become distressed so that's it that's the sort of humane treatment okay so animals in particular yeah so 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 how to that picture comes um, you know, killing animals, whether, yeah. whether these are animals that are, uh, you know, farm animals for food or whether we talk about hunting, because, you know, obviously I'm coming from the hunter and angler perspective and a lot of hunters go like, oh, you know, you humane kill and, you know, it's got to be quick humane kill. And it's like, you know, they're, they're banging on it, which, which I, I have certain reservations because I think they're 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 not honest with quite a, quite often what's happening during the hunt, right? Yeah. Like I might always kill humans. It's like well, maybe you try, but yeah. you know. It, it, so how that comes into you know we we hear humane kill, yeah, right. Well, again, Tommy, that things have changed over time. If you think about the way in which animals would have been killed for food. 100 years ago, or perhaps 150 years ago, uh, the likelihood was that a, 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 a steer or a bull, a cow, which was being killed for meat, would probably be either be killed by cutting through the spinal cord at the back of the neck here, or having its throat cut um, whilst it was maybe chained to a wall or chained to the floor, and it would die slowly because cutting through the spinal cord means the animal suffocates because the circulation still continues and cutting through the throat means that the animal will die from the loss of blood pressure slowly and therefore will remain conscious until blood pressure drops below a certain point. Um, over time, what happened is that people developed systems which were more humane and more uh, safe for the people that were doing the work. Uh, so um, things like uh, the polax, which really wasn't a particularly good system, was ultimately replaced by things like a captured bolt pistol, 
which as I'm sure you know, if you know anything about firearms, is a, a steel rod, uh, which is shot out, out of a pistol into the brain of the animal by holding it over its head. Uh, a blank charge punches that out, and then it is pulled back by uh, spring action back into the barrel of the of the gun. That is an effective way if it's accurate, it's well maintained, and you use the right charge uh, of, of 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 killing and uh, stunning and, and and ultimately killing a bovine. So that would be the humane way of killing cattle. Uh, there are a number of other ways in which you could do cattle as electrical stunning now, which is often used in Stroh, New Zealand, one or two places in Britain. Um, and then obviously there are different systems for for cattle sorry, pigs, sheep, poultry, and so forth. Um, and all of those are specified in legislation. And as far as practicable, knowing what we know about the physiology of the animal, uh, they are designed to be humane. So it renders an instantaneous, irreversible stun, or if it's electrical, sometimes reversible. Uh, and then the animal is, is, is hung up and killed by being bled out. Um, those are pretty effective systems. And in addition to that, there are systems for pigs and poultry using gas, um, various different mixtures of gas, carbon dioxide, argon, and so forth. And those kill the animals quickly as well. Um, when it comes to, to um, shooting a wildlife, um, I think there are many ways in which that can be done, but primarily it's done with shooting, isn't it not? Um, and in the hands of a skilled marksman uh, using the right equipment at the right distance and the right target. From what I understand, uh, the killing of a deer, for example, uh, if somebody complies with the sort of tenets of the deer stalking certificates and properly trained, you can get a pretty good kill. Um, it won't die instantly because it's not been shot in the head. It's almost certainly been shot in the chest. Um, but it dies pretty quickly if it's done well. But it does need to be done well because if you shoot it in another place, in the abdomen, for example, or in the leg or uh, in the jaw, then you'll maim the animal um, and it will die slowly over sometimes days, uh, particularly if you can't catch it. Uh, so that's the problem. Uh, when it comes to humane killing of other animals in the wild, um, I'm dubious about many of the other methods, frankly. Uh, snares, uh, which I accept are not designed to be lethal, but frequently are. A um, uh, number of the types of traps that are used for killing wildlife, dubious about those. And I'm also dubious about the quality of shotgun shooting of, 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 uh, of uh, some birds in particular. Uh, having said that, there's not a lot of data about that. There's more data about killing of um, deer than there is about um, shooting birds with shotguns. Yeah. So you see, this, is, this is interesting because you, you said, like, yeah, so killing, humane killing of animal is definitely a thing. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm taking that is, you know, mainly it needs to be done quickly. And then there's probably like a sliding scale. What is quickly, right? Is three minutes quick enough? Is 30 seconds quick enough? Uh, well, it's interesting, actually. If you look at some of the ways in which the traps that are used for killing uh, fur-bearing animals, and there's only one animal that in this country is counted under the, the, the international standards for 
killing fur-bearing animals is a stoat. Um, in North America, there are a number of other ones like the Fisher, um, the Martin, and then of course across uh, Asia, there's things like Sable, and then top of that there are things like, um, well, coyotes and even wolves to harvested for 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 for. for I think that muskrat and beaver are big ones as well. Yes, of course. Those are two I, I'd forgotten about. But it'd be quite right, yeah. And those traps there are designed to kill, uh, unless they're using a leg hold trap, uh, in a matter of um, less than a minute. Um, and a number of the traps that have been approved for use of killing, for killing in Britain, uh, under old rules, which go back to the 50s, I think, uh, designed to kill within two minutes. Now, two minutes is quite a long time. Um, and that is possibly quite a long period to suffer. Um, but then uh, it has to be looked at in the context of, of what's being done and how it's being done uh, in the same way that, for example, there are many other ways in which other wild animals are killed where it might take days to die uh, using rodenticides, you know, um, anticoagulant poisons and so forth. Uh, rats might take days to die after they've ingested that. So it, if you like, it's, there's, as you say, it, it, the, the objective is to do it quickly, um, but it's not always possible simply because either the technology doesn't allow it or the circumstances in which you're doing it uh, doesn't allow it to be deployed. But uh, the, the very best traps are very effective, but there aren't many of them. Um, and I, I, I think a number of things like fen traps, not particularly effective. Um, in fact, there's an argument that the international standard needs to be revised because uh, it's not particularly good in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I even heard an argument like, you know, uh, when it comes to hunting, like if, if the goal would be to kill animal as quickly as possible, why we not hunt with grenade launchers, right? That would kill them instantly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think one has to respect the environment in which you're doing the job. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm not naive about this. I, I, I've shot animals with a rifle and with a captive bolt pistol and a pistol, you know, just an ordinary um, free bullet pistol. Um, and I've been confident on a number of occasions that when I've shot the animal, it's dropped down stone dead, but I've been standing over it. Um, uh, I haven't shot them in the chest and I wouldn't do that because of course uh, there's no call for me to do that, no need for me doing that. But I, I think if you're shooting a, a deer at 50 meters or perhaps even longer, uh, even with a high-powered rifle with a, you know, a significant charge, even if you're accurate and you're getting it in that sweet spot in the chest, which is, I don't know, 100 mil diameter, um, the animal is still going to take more than a minute, if not up to five minutes to die. Uh, it's not instantaneous uh, by any means, but it's a lot better than many of the other methods that might be used for killing um, wild animals than, uh, than, 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 than shooting. Yeah. You know, it's also this argument, you know, it's not an argument, but you can take a long hard shot, which probably will 
cause the animal expire much quicker because you destroy the heart. But then yeah. you could make an argument, you know, I'm going to take a double long shot because I want to retain a heart. Right? Oh, okay. So so I, I guess this also comes to play and, and you can argue whether it's humane or is it inhumane. And is it humane to prolong the suffering of the animal in, a, in the name of you having a, you know, cut of meat or having a start? <laughs> I would, I would argue not. Uh, you know, I think the imperative, the first duty, if you're going to be shooting an animal uh, for any reason, is to ensure that uh, within the bounds of the method you're using, you are uh, killing it as quickly as possible and uh, as painlessly as possible. Yeah, as quickly uh, as uh, possible while still retaining the heart. <laughs> I, guess. <laughs> I, I I haven't had, I haven't said that. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just kidding. So listen, uh, so so far, it it seems like you, um, drawing pretty, you know, um, straightforward. Well, not straightforward, but drawing a line. You know, what's humane, what's inhumane, and setting a set of arguments. What's humane, what's unhumane. How that whole humane business links with ethics and with ethical so you know what's humane what's ethical because ethical is more blurry i guess and you know humane kill and ethical thing kill there there is an overlap but they're not quite the same thing well you could argue that the way in which you define humane could be a set of scientific parameters so you could say that a humane kill is something which renders an animal instantaneously unconscious. Or you could say it's a humane kill is that it's, it, it's the animal is, is uh, irreversibly unconscious within two minutes, if you say shot it with a, with a rifle. Um, but ethics is more about something which is less to do with figures it's about attitudes it's about standards and it's about values um, so uh, you might say that um, I'm thinking out loud here uh, that it would be um, uh, you could say that you would be able to kill an animal um, but it would be unethical to do it because the likelihood was that you weren't able to get a humane kill. Um, so in those circumstances, what you would be doing is, is, is overstepping a, a boundary, which either would be recognized by the law or by an organization, for example, the Deer Society, or it might be overstepping the standard that you set yourself. Because um, you could have your own ethical standard, which might be different, might be tougher than the law, might be tougher than the organization which you're a member of. So it's your own set of standards or one which you've signed up to, uh, which have perhaps been negotiated and agreed or perhaps set out in, 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 in law. So, for example, with deer, there are certain things that you're allowed to do. Um, I mean, there's no, for example, you can't use lighting at night to shoot deer. Um, so that's the law. Um, uh, you're obliged to use a certain a caliber rifle with a certain charge and a certain uh, 
uh, weight of, 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 of uh, a bullet. Uh, and again, that's the law. Um, but then you as a, as, a, as a stalker would have your own set of rules, which either be set by the organization which you've joined, if you are a member, or you would set your own ethical standard. And it might be that I don't, because of the concern that I have about being able to get a humane shot, I wouldn't shoot at a deer when there's more than a breeze or um, when the light is poor or um, when the animal isn't at right angles to me, uh, those sorts of things. And that would be a, for like a, an ethical standard, I think. So if you shoot the deer, if you're going to shoot the deer with the lights at night, other than illegal, it's unethical. But, I, I would say, but, but when you but when you shoot the deer in not uh, not in the wrong caliber in the not big enough caliber, then it's not only unethical; it's also inhumane and illegal. Yeah, and it, well, both of them are illegal. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. obviously. But yes, indeed. I'm yeah. just trying to explore, you know, like how much what is defined by humane is driven by ethics it's driven by ethical right because it has to be in in some extent because you can imagine people having set of ethical rules which goes like well it's okay you know they're animals you, they're animals they're for us here to do whatever we please with them therefore humane standards will be different well i th i think that the, 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 you're absolutely right about that uh, if you go back to the 18th century no 17th century, uh, the, the, the prevailing attitude there was that uh, animals would respond to the stimulus of being poked with a stick or stabbed with a knife, but they didn't have feelings. They didn't have, it was a reflex action while they would run away from being poked with a stick or stabbed with a knife, but they didn't have feelings. And that was a philosophical view that spilled over into society, which essentially, if you like, sanctioned people beating horses with a stick, um, you know, when they were being used as draft animals. But then attitudes changed, not necessarily the science, but attitudes changed. And society started to believe, as part of the Enlightenment, that given what we knew about animals and, for example, what we understood about them having brains and nervous systems and a variety of other things like that, uh, that perhaps they did feel and therefore... Uh, we ought not to treat them quite as badly. And then, of course, science started to catch up when uh, people understood physiology of animals and so forth. And then they realized that actually the prevailing or the changing attitudes towards the way in which we treated animals had got a scientific basis to it as well. Right, right. So in other words, science drives ethics and then ethics drives what's defined by humane Yeah, and I think society drives what is acceptable. Uh, uh, you know, this is a bit of a change of subject, but but uh, if you think about the way in which we used to keep chickens mm -hmm. uh, up until about 15 or 20 years ago, they were kept, the vast majority of them, uh, the ones that were kept for laying eggs, were kept in cages where uh, the area that the animal was able to sit on, I'm just going to demonstrate this here, Uh, was smaller than that for its entire life. <laughs> A4 sheet of paper, um, and it had no room to perch, nowhere to perch, nowhere to dust bathe, 
and nowhere to lay an egg. So it laid an egg on a bit of a wire of mesh and it rolled down and somebody collected it later on. And that was its entire life. The science ultimately demonstrated that the birds were prepared to work, that is, do tasks in order to be able to get access to dust bathe, access to perches, and access to somewhere to lay an egg, and also to be able to flap the wings. They were prepared to, to press buttons in order to get to somewhere where they had that space or where they could lay an egg. Um, and if you provided them with pressing buttons where they couldn't get that, they wouldn't press the button. So they were working for it with a beak, of course, nothing else. Um, but the point I'm getting at was that what drove the scientists to do that work in the first place wasn't because some scientists woke up one day and said, I think we ought to do this work. It was because the public pressure was saying, I'm not uncomfortable with this. I don't like the way in which these birds are being kept. It doesn't look right. right? I, 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 I think without the science, I think that that bird should exactly. move around. So, so society drives or sometimes drives the development of the evidence base simply because they're uncomfortable with what they see. So I think it's quite important that we recognize that, that the way in which we treat animals is, is, is partly driven by the science, but it's also about what um, the public will accept. And sometimes that is ahead of the scientific evidence. Now, of course, what does happen sometimes is people say, we don't like what we see. The science investigates and it doesn't back up people's views. But in the case of the chickens, it did. An interesting one, that. So I, the, the, you can argue that, 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 that the way in which we treat, the way in which we use snares, and, and that's a particular issue, for me, because I, I think they're, they're an abomination. I think it's a barbaric practice uh, and probably ought to be outlawed. Um, and I, I, I can see no good reason for doing it. Uh, and I would like to think that over time, the groundswell of opinion will be that this is an unacceptable thing to do in this country and it ultimately ought to be prohibited. Um, and my view is that if the people that want to do this uh, really think it's a good idea, then let them come up with the evidence about the humaneness of it. Otherwise, we ought to just stop doing it. Yeah, yeah. Or their ethical values don't see anything wrong with it. Uh, that's these, this, <laughs> these, this, this, well, this other, other side of it. Well, I, don't, right. I, don't, I don't see anything. Well, that, that, that's right. And in, in essence, what you've got now is, is, is two groups of ethical standards sort mm -hmm. of colliding. Yeah, yeah. So listen, maybe now is a good moment to ask you that and and uh we, we discussed this question on i think one or two episodes of the podcast but you are an expert here not i so i'm i'm just only going to ask a question like what is the difference between animal welfare and animal rights <laughs> okay um I, I, i just need to just you know not say anything i just let you just let you <laughs> just let you talk i i i i don't think there is a hard and fast distinction. I think what animal welfare is, is essentially a codification that is an articulation 
of what people need to do to meet their responsibilities towards animals. So if uh, an animal welfare code or legislation uh, says that uh, the space allowance for this animal is X square meters, or uh, the nutritional requirements of this animal is A, B, and C, or uh, that um, you need to make sure that the temperature at which it's kept is 25 degrees centigrade or whatever else, then that is meeting the animal welfare needs of the animal. And therefore you've codified the responsibilities you have towards it, a duty of care. Animal rights is different. And uh, that is essentially saying that in addition to the responsibilities that we have, if you keep an animal or you interact with it in any way, uh, and of course it goes beyond farming and it goes beyond shooting and it goes beyond research animals, um, is that the individual animal has got rights which go beyond what you are obliged in law to provide. And that's where it gets quite complicated and quite muddy because some people would argue that the animal has a right to life or it might have a right to um, certain conditions in which it's kept. But then of course, if you say that the animal has got rights to certain conditions in which it's kept, you're really essentially saying that's what the law says. Like I say, space allowance, temperature, food, or whatever else. So really what you, the rights issue is more to do with the right to life and the right not to be injured or distressed or given, you know, uh, being exposed to painful stimuli. Um, but I also think that, you know, that's an animal welfare argument. So I think the distinction is often quite complex and, and quite contentious. I feel strongly that, that we need to do animal welfare better than we do, but I don't think that necessarily means that I'm an advocate of animal rights. And I feel very strongly that we have responsibilities. But I think those responsibilities sometimes are so strong that some people might say that, that you're essentially declaring animal rights. And I've had this debate with a number of people already. Um, I think there are some people who think the two things are entirely separate. I think it's quite difficult to pull them apart. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because, because this, this, I have the same uh, view that it's, it's very often seen as quite separate things mm -hmm. and uh, i i would even go as far as as animal rights has a bad rap and if, <laughs> if someone if someone is you know they go oh you're animal rights right you're extremist right this is like if someone is animal rights he's an extremist and yes. everybody straight away see uh you know the next thing the guy gonna say or gal gonna say is like oh go vegan and you know do yeah. all these all these things and i do think though that um Uh, philosophically, if you read somebody like Peter Singer, um, he would draw a distinction between animal rights and animal responsibilities. Um, and certainly even that chap, uh, what was his name? Um, 
Roger Scruton, who wrote about animal rights, he would argue that uh, animals don't have rights at all. All we've got is responsibilities towards them. Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm agnostic. Um, I, I, I do. I think we have got responsibilities, and and, and one of the things I, I I want to argue about, want to argue, want to debate about, is the way in which we artificially segregate animals into different groups, which means that the responsibilities we have to them are very different depending on what group they're in. And I think that's where there is a good argument for saying the responsibilities we've got to all animals are essentially the same. So therefore, the humane approach or the standards to which we we care for them ought to be broadly similar while recognizing the circumstances in which they we interact with them are different but i mean let me give the example that i've used a number of times before uh, in, in in writing and uh, in talks i've given which is the rat the brown rat which is a very very common animal it's common as a pet it's common as a laboratory animal, and it's quite common in um, uh, uh, as as uh, uh, in the wild. In the wild, and yet, even though we know almost certainly that each of those animals—a brown rat in a, a laboratory, in a in a home as a pet, or in the wild—its ability to feel pain. And you can argue about whether you think it can feel pain or not. But whether you think it can feel pain or not, you surely must argue that it's going to be the same whether it's in a laboratory, in a house, or in a in the wild. And yet we treat these animals very, very differently. So when it, in, in the wild, we use traps which are ineffective. Uh, we use poisons that take five days to die. And then in laboratory, they are protected to an extraordinary high degree by the conditions in which they're obliged to be kept. The people that look after them have got all sorts of qualifications. The people that do the procedures have to have even more qualifications and they're subject to enormous amounts of scrutiny. Now, some of the procedures that happen to these animals are not very pleasant, but there's analgesia, there's a great deal of effort expended to make sure that these animals, whilst they have these unpleasant procedures, are protected from the nasty side of the pain and uh, discomfort as far as practicable. And then you've got the pet rat. Most of them are obese. Most of them are. <laughs> so, so, you know, That's an animal welfare issue right there. <laughs> so you've got this, this huge difference between the way in which we we, we treat one species, and I, 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 I want us to start thinking about what are the needs of the rat, and I think the need of the rat, at first, firstly, is not to be abused, so um, don't overfeed it if it's a pet, make sure it's properly looked after as a research animal, and don't use inhumane, cruel poisons if it's in, in the wild. And there's a start, and yet somehow we seem to learn from all three of those. So it's 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 getting that sort of 
discussion going that I'm keen to, to, to get. And it's not just about shooting or it's not just about uh, farm animals. It, it's about the whole thing about thinking about, well, we have got all these various different interactions and therefore all of these different responsibilities. And yet we go about them completely differently. And it's really not very good. And you touch on a, on, a, on, a, on a very interesting point, which is, by the way, something I want to talk to you about as well, which is this, this uh, like a gradation of the animals. It's, it's like a, everybody heads, keeps in the head a list of an animals, right? Yeah, and yeah. then we, we if, it, if, if, it's, if it's furry and has eyelashes, it, you know, it's great and we should protect it. And then you have these ugly animals and this and that, right? So... Even vegan slaps the mosquito, and then whether you you know then people are less tend to get upset if someone catches a fish, but you know try to shoot a deer, right? Uh, I even wrote a blog post about you know when when we were with my friend taking out fishing rods out of the out of the boot of a car going fishing, and people were you know marching. Besides, like, oh, guys, good luck, whatever, right? We we we, we take and said, uh, I wonder what would be your reaction if we were taking out rifles, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and I had many conversations about that as well, and I'm curious what you know, what 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 your thoughts are. Is 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 this really valid? I kind of feel like it is valid, but then as long as you start try to argue and and say like why this animal or not that animal then quickly it becomes just just absurd right what you do do you you go as a brain mass do you say you know how uh, how what is the curvature of the brain what is the uh, percentage of the mass of the brain versus you 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 know and you you know there's an argument like anyone who's seen the brain of a dolphin next to a human brain right said like there's no way this thing we are smarter than this thing (laughs) because <laughs> its brain is just enormous. It's yeah. like whoa, like you know. So I, I think it's probably it, it, it's simultaneously more complicated and simpler than that, Tommy. Um, and the reason why I think it's simpler is that we don't know, and that's that's the really important thing. That's we, a good start. We, we we don't know, and the reason why we don't know is because understanding the experience of, 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 other, of other animals, even other people, is very, very difficult and almost impossible. Um, let's just take, take the example of, 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 of me falling down. Supposing I got up and fell over and broke my ankle whilst we're on this video. You probably would hear me squeal and you'd see me limp and uh, you'd probably see me uh, grimace and... Uh, and you would almost certainly make the assumption that he's in a lot of pain, but you actually wouldn't know. You can't know because only I experience the pain. So take a dog. You might see a dog have a similar experience and break its leg and it would howl and grimace and perhaps limp quite badly. And you would almost certainly make the assumption that animal was was in pain, but you can't know. But a dog expresses pain, in my view, pretty similarly 
to where we do. You know, they, they, uh, it, 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of drama, shall we say? But if you saw a sheep with a broken leg, um, you would almost certainly find it quite difficult if it was in a flock of sheep. First of all, to find it if it was a big flock. And you may have some difficulty in catching it. Um, and it may not even make a noise. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, I think it's because if a sheep makes, draws attention to itself, it's going to get eaten by quickly. It, it would be singled out by a predator because, you know, I mean, all right, sheep don't have many predators in this country, but let's, let's take the example of an impala in Africa uh, with a broken leg. It would still be able to move quickly and it probably would not make a lot of noise because if it does that, a, a lion a cheetah, a hyena is going to spot it quickly and pick it off. So some people would say, well, that's not showing any, it's not showing any pain. Therefore it's not feeling any pain. But I think you can't make that assumption either. So if you can make the assumption because the dog is similar to us in terms of having its nervous system and its um, anatomy and a brain not so dissimilar to ours. And therefore you say, because the dog howls and it limps and grimaces, it's feeling pain. I think you can probably say the same thing about a sheep, or at least it would be very difficult to say it wasn't. So in a rather roundabout way, what I'm really saying is that in the absence of evidence that an animal doesn't feel pain, it's a good idea to assume that it does. So um, in, in, if, if, you, if you make that assumption, you're, always, you're not going to make mistakes uh, about how you would treat an animal. Um, now, I accept that a fish is different from a dog. I accept an octopus is different from a dog. Um, but let's look at the fish first. The fish is a vertebrate. It has a brain, a spinal cord, and a, a, an array of nerves throughout its body, which have a number of functions, um, sensory functions, muscular functions to make muscles contract, but also it has fibers in its spinal cord, which are very similar to the ones that we have which transport pain, pain sensations to the brain, and therefore we feel it. Now, you could say that maybe the fish hasn't got the higher centers in its brain, which allow it to process the signals that are coming, that telling it's had some injury, which we would perceive as pain. But then why would you do that? in the absence of evidence that it wasn't. So that's why I think whilst you're right, it's important that we don't lump all animals together, but in the absence of evidence to say that an animal doesn't feel pain and actually really difficult to get that, you've got to be pretty careful that probably you ought to be giving the benefit of the doubt. So, it's difficult stuff, really difficult stuff, because 
society hasn't really taken an interest in the experience of fish for, for, for many years. And, you know, we've been comfortable when we see trawlers bringing in, I don't know, tens of thousands of mackerel at a time oh, yeah. uh, and, and dumping them on the deck and all the fish are flapping about. They're suffocating. They've gone through a, an enormous pressure change if they're deeper sea fish. And uh, they've been piled up with all of their uh, mates in a great big bag of fish, which is probably really rather painful, or at least you'd think it was. But actually, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get terribly excited about that. I, I look at it and think, well, that's a lot of fish. That's about all I think. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you saw that with dogs, you'd be horrified, wouldn't you? Yeah. A big yeah. bag of dogs dropped onto a wooden floor. I, you know, I guess there's also these, uh, you can make an argument that it depends, like even two people feel pain differently, right? You, you, you have, you, you, you so, have a, we, so we believe people have got different thresholds to pay. Right, right. And then you look at the alligator that loses its limbs and it's like, all right, no factor, just carries on, you know. So like you said, it's difficult. There's no hard and fast rule and and this is where i said like once you start arguing about it you know like the argument of a fish like how how do we know that it just doesn't feel like a you know discomfort that it cannot move rather than actual pain yeah, yeah. and like you said on the top of a show it's impossible to know yeah. so I, i i get that as long as we're operate within the boundaries of a law Mm -hmm. which is animal welfare, mm -hmm. then it again boils down to ethics, to personal <laughs> values that I will not let that fish flap around till it suffocates. I will dispatch it versus yeah. like, ah, you know, yeah. it's very individual then un if, until if, it's a law. If you look at the law that governs animal research, it covers all vertebrates. So from, primates right away down to fish covers them all and it also covers cephalopods which are um, octopuses octopuses and squid because of the evidence there that even though I think it's contentious uh, that these animals are capable of feeling pain yeah. uh, so it covers all amazing and, and, and but but what's interesting about it is that the um, There are other bits of the law that don't really uh, cover um, uh, the welfare of fish outside of laboratories. Uh, there's some, but it's nowhere near as it's nowhere near as comprehensive. So this goes back to my argument that if 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 you're going to if you're going to say we're going to protect this animal in this circumstance because we believe it can feel pain then why would you not protect it not in, in another circumstance where it is potentially liable to start feeling pain there? And, and it becomes really difficult to do. Now, I'm, I have the privilege of chairing an animal welfare charity uh, called the University's Federation for Animal Welfare, and it's twinned with a, another organization called the Humane Slaughter Association. And we've been putting money into research into uh, better understanding 
the ways in which uh, fish are caught um, at sea uh, and, and just starting to put a toe into the water into uh, research into uh, the welfare of, 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 of mass caught fish. But also we're putting uh, a, a lot of money into research into um, the killing of um, aquaculture, you know, fish kept in aquaculture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, which is, well, for many years it was done very badly. It seems to be getting done a wee bit better now. But uh, those sorts of things are the, where the sort of boundaries are just starting to get pushed back and the evidence is starting to build. Um, and it doesn't mean, and I, I would emphasize, I, I hope uh, a number of people are watching or ultimately watch this, I would emphasize that from my perspective, I have no agenda about stopping these things. Just want to be done better. Um, and uh, I mean, there's always a question that needs to be asked about certain things. Does it need to be done? And that's a separate question. Um, you know, are these animals a pest? Uh, do these animals need to be uh, killed, etc., uh, etc.? Et uh, but if that decision is taken, then it has to be done humanely. Uh, and and the decision about about that is about the balance of of harm versus the benefits. Um, and far too often, I think those discussions aren't taking place. And the more that we can get people to adopt an approach where, when they are considering about how they're going to do it or whether they're going to do it, they have investigated best practice and finding out the best way to do this. And you know, I think far too often, you know, the argument is, well, let's go on with it. But I think there's more to be done. There's more. There's yeah, more. I, I just wonder, like, is that argument based on, you know, utility? It is. Right? right? Yeah. That, so, so, like, okay, this animal suffers in the process, but we kind of, we're okay with that because we then gonna use it and, and so on, right? And that's an argument that you hear quite often. Uh, I, I think the biggest one is is with angling in, in Germany, where it's like still a lot of kind of interpretations I feel like out there, right? That you have to have a good reason to do this in in terms of animal welfare. Like why you so you have to if you're gonna consume the fish or like and the same goes with the with the hunting. Like if you're going to consume your deer then it's fine. But if you're not going to consume your deer and you're, you know, trophy hunting or whatever you want to call it, then it's bad. And, you know, from the perspective of an animal, that actually doesn't make a difference, right? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it does. But then uh, you know that there's a, a long tradition of um, uh, coarse fishing in this country where uh, people catch a variety of different fish and they've never had any intention of eating those. Um, no, they put them back alive, but um, sometimes it's it, it's it's a legitimate question to ask. You know, why, or, or 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 is there another way you could do it, or do you need to do it at all? Uh, I, I'm not saying, and I would emphasize, I'm not singling out course fishing as being. I'm using that as an example, um, but I I think there's there's discussions to be had, and, and certainly my view about deer stalking and deer, uh, you know, taking out deer 
There are good reasons for killing deer. Uh, most of them are not to do with harvesting them for food, even though that represents a substantial proportion of it. A lot of it is because of the genuine damage they do to crops and forestry. Um, and without having some means of keeping the numbers down, uh, then you will get this sustained widespread damage. I would like to think, though, for the most part, that when people do shoot deer to protect woodland, then the carcass is is is, is used and and, and eaten because it, it's it's a, it's a waste otherwise. Because why not? Whether you're killing it for uh, recreation, whether you're killing it for trophies, whether you're killing it for food, or whether you're killing it to protect crops, you have a moral duty to do that humanely. Doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, well, I, I I agree, and I and I like like what you said because I even you know I had this conversation like you know if you kill an animal for utility right there's utilitarian element of it all because I'm gonna eat it or because I'm gonna hang it on the wall and and then it goes into ethics of hunting like why you know is hunting for fun quote unquote good yeah. enough re good enough reason and then it may argue like yeah it's a it's a good enough reason. Um, one last thing, you know, we, we, we're going to be wrapping this up. Um, the one last thing I, I want to ask your opinion about is this, you know, uh, we talk a lot about, we, we dedicated a whole show about humane killing and as quickly as possible and so on. Now, in nature, it doesn't exist, right? No. Nature is cruel, yeah. right? And I often said, like, we are part of nature. Yes. Right? We are part of nature. Why we... What are the good reasons to put a different standard uh, on us than you put a standard on a wolf? And that especially becomes an interesting question. Let, let, let me just finish. Like, when we get into the topic of rewilding, let's say, right? You often hear that argument. Like, oh, you, you so much you know, animal loving type, and yet you want to release the wolves that then we're going to, you know, not so humanely kill all the deer and, and, and so on. And so, so I find this interesting talking point. I wonder what's your view on this? Well, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you about whether nature is cruel. I don't think na nature is, 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 is neither cruel or humane. It, it, it just is. Um, so, uh, and there was a bit of film I saw on the internet a couple of days ago of uh, a pack of uh, African wild dogs catching in an impala, and one of them was eating it before the other one had killed it. So mm. it was eaten alive. And that's pretty unpleasant to watch. Um, but I don't think you can describe it as cruel or humane. It's or inhumane. It, it, it just is. That's what happens. And I, I, I get the argument that if you're interested in rewilding and perhaps skeptical about the shooting of deer, uh, then why would you be comfortable about wolves pulling down deer and perhaps eating them whilst they're still alive, or at least uh, spending a few minutes suffocating it by grabbing it around the uh, trachea, which is how they generally kill them. Um, but <clears throat> I think the only difference, the only way you can just to rationalize this, and it is a rationalization, is to say that we are 
moral beings. And therefore, whilst we are part of nature, we have a set of, we have a brain and a set of uh, uh, standards which presumably have developed in that brain and mitigated and emphasized and refined by society, which sets standards for us. And uh, if we don't set some standards for us, then I think the argument would be that we would have no reason to uh, us going out and killing deer with our bare hands or just running up and stubbing it with a knife if we could get away with it. Um, but then society doesn't deem that acceptable. Society is in Britain has said, this is a deer act. This is the way you'll kill deer. And you're not obliged, or sorry, you're not allowed to do it differently the same way that we don't allow bow hunting because we believe it's cruel. Um, or we wouldn't allow people to go and kill a deer just with a knife or set dogs on it because we believe it's cruel. I, I accept that killing a deer with a pack of dogs isn't fundamentally different than killing a deer with a, fair, a set of wolves, other than the fact that the dogs are under control of people. And therefore, we set ourselves standards. And that's what we do because we're a moral animal. So, so it goes go back to ethical standards. Well, I, I think it does. Yes, yes. It's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, because I was already, you know, getting ready to get an argument like, oh, because, but we have a like, we have a brain who has these standards. That's kind of the same argument, like, oh, all the other mammals, wolves, sheep, and all, they also have a brain and all that. So, <laughs> so should they? Like, why? Why are we not holding them up to the standards? Well, who knows? I mean, you know, you might find out before too long that sheep have ethical standards. Um, I doubt it, but uh, I, you know. I, I keep an open mind about these things. Yeah, it it was it was uh, this this guy. He wrote this uh, article. McMahon, I think, was his name. Yeah. He was arguing that we should uh, shot the carnivores because they're causing pain. Are you familiar uh, with that guy? Uh, well, I did read a, a paper, and I can't remember the name of the chap who wrote it, but it was about six. McMahon, I think, is his name. I don't know his first well, name. He was arguing that if you can't make, if you can't turn carnivores herbivorous. Uh, then we should humanely kill them uh, because of the, the the cruel way in which they kill herbivores. Uh, failing to understand that uh, you know it's not that you have to train a carnivore to eat grass; it's physiologically incapable of being able to digest it, even if it could swallow it. But he was a philosopher, not, not yeah. an anatomist, a veterinarian, or a biologist. So I think we gave him the benefit of the doubt and said, well. That's interesting, but ignored it. Yeah, that's a separate conversation. Alec, thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. It was it was very educational. And uh, do you have any any final words of wisdom for our listeners and viewers? Uh, no, I think uh, the only thing I would say is 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 uh, this has been an interesting discussion, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to you again, Tommy. And just your readers, your listeners, I should say, uh, keep an open mind about this sort of thing uh, and, and, and keep the dialogue going because uh, these things are not going to get solved if we end up arguing. We need to debate and we need to debate rationally 
recognizing that not everything is about science. Some of it is about ethics. Absolutely. It, it seems like a lot of that is about ethics. Alec, thank you very much. Appreciate welcome, it. You're welcome. Welcome.